0: Last week we started a new series called Reach Out. I know we talked last week about the tension that we all feel sometimes between reaching out to people who need the Lord and pulling back and being silent. You know, whenever you think of, you see someone and you think, I need to speak to him, I need to speak to her. There's often that internal debate in our minds and immediately we come up with reasons we don't need to. Reasons why we need to just be quiet. And we said last week, just win the debate. Win the debate and go ahead and reach out and invite them to church. Win the debate in your own mind and help somebody in need. Win the debate in your own mind and share the gospel. There are now five weeks and five days left in 2020. So I'm asking you, during these last days of 2020, don't Pull back, but try to reach out to at least one person. After the, f- the first service today, somebody presented me with these baseballs, uh, which I thought was great. Uh, I- I'm going to be, by the way, I found a baseball this week, and if this makes no sense to you, you, you need to go back and watch last Sunday's message. Uh, but I found a baseball this week, and I have already this week placed one name on that baseball of someone that I've spoken to this week. And what I do with that baseball is that I I literally, I hold it in my hand every day during my quiet time, and I'm praying for that person, and asking God to help me put other names on that baseball that I might have opportunities to reach out to other people for the rest of the year. So I got two new baseballs that I can fill up with names as well. However you choose to do it, whatever you choose to do, just make the decision that for the rest of 2020, you're going to try to reach out. Now, what I want to look at today is, Basically, I want to talk about the importance of being a welcoming and friendly church. And here's why that's important. If you invite someone to come to church, if you do reach out and you invite somebody to come to church with you, have you ever thought about have you ever wondered what kind of experience will they have? What will it be like for them? Have you ever thought about what it's like for someone to come as a guest? For the very first time to our church. Have you ever felt wondered. I wonder what they think about this. I wonder how they interpret this. I wonder if they understand what's going on. I wonder if they feel welcome here. I was thinking this week about the last two churches that I have visited. This year. Of course I'm kind of busy on Sunday. So I don't get to go to a lot of different churches. But when I am out. When I'm on vacation or something. I do try to go to church. Even on vacation. We go to church somewhere. And I can tell you this, that this year the two churches that I went to, in both churches I had the same experience. And here's the experience that I had. Besides the person at the door who said hello to me and handed me a bulletin, no one spoke to me at all in either church. The whole time I sat like you're sitting before the service, nobody spoke to me. After the service, nobody spoke to me. As I was walking out the door... Nobody spoke to me in either of those churches. Now, can I be honest with you? It really didn't matter because I already have a church home. And, and I'm already a Christian. And so it really did, wasn't that big of a deal. But it did make me think. What if I came to, tr- to that church not as a pastor, but what if I came to that church as a lost person? What if I came to church and nobody spoke to me? Nobody seemed to notice me. Nobody seemed to care. And I was lost just searching for answers. What would I decide about church? You know what I think I would decide? I think I would leave that church or both of those churches and reach this conclusion, church must be for church people. Just like fishing is for fishing people and golf is for golf people, you know, church is for church people. It's just another thing for you to do during the week, and there's lots of things to do. And, and the sad thing is, if as a lost person I concluded church is for church people, then I probably would also come to the conclusion, Jesus must be for church people. And then I would walk away. Now, we know, right? We know that church is for everybody. We know that everybody needs forgiveness. We know that everybody needs to be made right with God. We know that. We understand that. But sometimes, I think what we lose sight of is this. We lose sight of the fact that as a church, we play a role in someone's faith decision. That's what I want to talk about today. That as a church... You and I play a role in someone's faith story. Now, I am absolutely positive that if you were to go back to those two churches that I went to this year, and if you were to interview those church members in either of those churches, they would likely say, we are a very friendly church. And I'm sure that their church is friendly, so long as you know the people that are there. As long as you're on the inside, as long as you're not a guest, as long as as you're one of the crowd, I'm sure that church is friendly. Churches usually think that they're friendly church because the members talk to one another. They usually think we're a friendly church because we know one another. But they don't think about walking in the shoes of first-time guests and walking in the door and what is it like. By the way, do you know what the worst part of being in a church is, if you're you're new to that church. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. I want this to sink in. Those in the Life Center, you desperately need to hear this. Let me tell you what the worst part of going to a church that you've never been to before. The worst part is that nine or ten minutes before the service when you sit down and you don't know anybody. And you're watching all of these conversations going on around you, but nobody's talking to you, and you feel like you're at a party that you were not invited to and you're just watching everybody else have conversations. So my goal today is very, very simple. I want you to see that our church can be part of somebody's God story. Or better yet, I want you to understand that you can be part of somebody's God story. I would love to hear someone say next year, You know, there was a day I went to this church called Mount Airy and there was a person there and they interacted with me and they were friendly to me and they reached out to me and it really made a difference in my life. Now, if you think all of that's just wishful thinking and that's just preacher talk or something like that, you need to open God's Word with me. I want to show you a story very similar to that in God's Word. It's found in the book of Acts, chapters 8 and 9. Acts, chapters 8 and 9. In Acts chapters 8 and 9, we have the story of a new Christian and two churches who struggled with reaching out or pulling back. It's an intriguing story when you dig into it. Of this new Christian and these two churches who had different responses to this new Christian. And they both struggled in one way or another to reaching out or pulling back. While you're finding Acts chapter 8, let me kind of set the stage for you. Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7, it tells the story of of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a godly man in the first New Testament church. He was a deacon in the first New Testament church. He loved the Lord, and because of his faith in Christ, others came to attack him who did not like him. The Jews of that day were very jealous and, and became very irrational about Stephen and what he was trying to do. And they eventually stoned him to death. That is, they literally picked up stones and they threw the rocks at him, hit him in the head and across his body until they killed him. That's in Acts chapter 7. And I want you to see in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 how this chapter begins. Remember, chapter 7 is talking about the stoning of Stephen and it says in chapter 8 verse 1, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the first reference to Saul in the New Testament. And the first reference that we see to Saul is that he's standing there watching Stephen being murdered, becoming the first martyr of the Christian faith. And Saul, as he stood there, was essentially, I'm reading between the lines, he essentially is smiling as he watches Stephen die. The writer Luke says it this way, Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now, we're going to read the the next three verses in Acts chapter 8. And as we read, I want you to look and feel the hatred in Saul's heart. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. But Saul began to destroy the church. I want you to feel the hatred of that word. His desire was not to threaten the church. His desire was not to harass or even to persecute the church. His desire was to destroy the church. And by the way that Greek word destroy it has the meaning of to tear apart like a pack of wild animals would tear apart a piece of meat it means that that you're going crazy as you're tearing apart that whatever it is that you're trying to destroy that was Saul so we see this picture of Saul in just so intent on destroying the church now we go to chapter 9 acts chapter 9 Meanwhile, the reason that we see the word meanwhile there is because part of chapter 8 is talking about another man named Philip who was a deacon in the church. And we have the story in chapter 8 of Philip and all that he did. And then we come back into chapter 9 to the story again of Saul. And that's why it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Meanwhile, Saul was still filled with hatred. Meanwhile, Saul had not let up. Meanwhile, Saul was absolutely intent on destroying the church. He's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in where? Church where? In Damascus. Remember that. Saul's heading to Damascus. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And when, Paul, when Saul later tells a story, by the way, later his name is changed to Paul, when he later tells this story of what his life was like and how he described this time in his life when he was so filled with hatred and and wanted to destroy the church, when he later tells this story again in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 22, this is is how he described that time in his life. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Then in Acts chapter 26, he tells the story again about what his life used to be like, and specifically how he used to, to feel towards the church during this time in his life. And in Acts 26, this is how he described his angry obsession with the church. He says, and I quote, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, And I tried to force them to blaspheme. And listen to what he says in this last sentence. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. That's what Saul is doing in Acts chapter 9. In his obsession against Christians and the church, in his hatred for them and his desire to destroy them, he is heading towards Damascus with a letter in his hand from the chief priest giving him permission to go to the synagogues and to drag out every Christian he can find and to destroy the church in Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem and put him in prison. And that was his intent and that was his hatred. That was his desire. But God, on the way to do all of that, on the way to Damascus, and apparently just outside the city of Damascus, apparently just before he gets into the city limits, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Saul encountered Jesus, and the long story short is, Saul got saved that day. He became a follower of Christ. He became a Christian. He became the very thing that he hated. And he got saved. It's one of the greatest salvation stories this world has ever seen. And apparently, the reason I say apparently it was not far from the city is because of what I read in chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 8. Verse 6 says, The Lord is talking to him now after this vision and this appearance of the Lord Jesus. And and he says, Now get up and go into the city. And you'll be told what you must do. It sounds like they're not very far outside of the city. Now, Now Saul, get up. Go into the city. And look again in verse uh, 8. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now, everybody listen to me real carefully, please. Those watching online, thank you for tuning in today. And those in the Life Center, thank you for being here today. Please make sure you hear this. Why? Did God send Saul on into Damascus? Why not have him turn around and go home? His mission of persecuting and arresting Christians was over because he had become one. So why didn't God say, okay, now that you're part of the team, turn around, go back to Jerusalem? So interesting that God sent Saul to the very people that Saul had planned to persecute. God sent Saul to the very church he had intended to destroy. But why? I believe it's because the church is God's primary vehicle of demonstrating His mercy, His love, and His grace. The church is called the body of Christ. And because it is the body of Christ, it is the primary vehicle that God uses to demonstrate His love and His mercy and His grace to those who desperately need it. And so God says to Saul, Now Saul, you know that church you're getting ready to go destroy? Here's what I want you to do. Get up and go into Damascus. I want you to go to those people. I want you to encounter this church. You intended to destroy. But here's an interesting thing. Before he ever got to that church. Somebody had to come. And reach out to him. From that church. Or if I could say it another way. Before he went there. Somebody had to go visit him. We read the story. I'm not making this up. You can read the story beginning in verse 10. In Damascus. In Damascus verse 10. There was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for his praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord... Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Question, was Ananias wanting to reach out or to pull back? Absolutely, I would too. He was not just having a debate in his head, he's having a debate with God. God, if there's anybody that can't be saved, it's this guy. And I don't want to put my neck on the line reaching out to him. But I want you to notice who won the debate. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, here's the first lesson I want you to get today. The first thing I want you to understand based on this story we've read so far and what we're going to look at, the first thing you need to grab hold of is this. God uses the church to help people grow in their faith. God uses the church to help people grow in their faith. Ananias went to Saul, watch this, and he ministered grace to him. I can show it to you right here in the scripture. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. By the way, when it says placing his hands, if I was Ananias and I was going into the presence of this murderer named Saul, when I walked up to him, my hands would be doing this. And it says he placed his hands on him and he said two amazing words. Brother Saul. He didn't place his hands around his neck and say, you low down good for nothing. He didn't place his hands on him and say, I have come to get vengeance on God's behalf. Put his hands of grace on him. And he called him brother. Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again and got up and was baptized. One friendly, obedient person made a difference in this new believer's life by reaching out to him at a critical time. He reached out when he wanted to pull back. And it made such an impact on Paul or Saul. Now, when I continue to read the story, I come to verse 19. Don't read verse 19 yet. When I read the story, I come to verse 19, and the only thing I can say when I get to verse 19 is, Wow. Let me show you what it says. Verse 18. Let's start there again. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. Verse 19 says, And after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's not the wow part. The wow part is the second part of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I literally had to write beside my notes in my studying Bible or my study book notes. Wow. Because you understand what those words are saying? Saul went to the church he was intent on destroying, and they welcomed him. Saul went to the place where he had intended to murder people, and they welcomed him. Saul went to the church he he hated, at one time hated, and now he went there, and he spent many days with them. Talk about a friendly church. I mean, the people he hated are now showing him Christian love. The people who were targets of Paul have now become his encouragers. You see, not only does God use us individually like he did Ananias in someone's personal growth, but he also uses us corporately, collectively, to help someone grow in their faith. Look at verse 20 and following. At once... It causes, I believe, of the response of God's people in that church at, at Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call him this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus Is the Christ. I believe that when Saul later would tell his faith story. Part of his testimony would be how one man. Named Ananias. And one church. In the city of Damascus. Impacted his life. In those early days. I believe as he told his faith story. He could tell the story of how. When he first became a Christian. God led him to a church in Damascus. That really set him on the right track. Just after the first service, just after the service, the first service a few moments ago, a young lady—it's hard for me to even talk about this—just after the first service, a young lady came up to me, and she, she's she's recently gotten saved here, and I, I recently baptized her a few weeks back. And after the first service, she said. How do you become a missionary? I said, that is a big question. And we talked about it for a little bit. But after she left, I thought about how the church is helping her grow in her faith. How this place has become a place for her to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Saul had a church like that in his life. It was called the Church in Damascus. Now, the interesting thing about Saul's story is that he went to another church later and he did not have the same kind of response. Let's pick up the story and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Verse 23 After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Now, not the Jews in the church at Damascus, but those Jews who were living in the area. Uh, Not the Christians, but the Jews who are living in the area, they felt like Saul had become a traitor. Instead of a Jew following Moses, now he's preaching Jesus. And they believed that was against Moses. And so these Jews living in Damascus said, He has turned against us. We need to rid the world of Him. And so they became like Saul was previously. They wanted to kill Him. So after many days, verse 23 The Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. And day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now, watch what happens in verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Translation, when he went to Jerusalem, he tried to go to church there. Were they reaching out or were they pulling back? They were pulling back big time. Absolutely pulling back. Not believing Saul was really a Christian. You know, it's it's kind of hard sometimes to overcome your reputation. Saul was not welcomed in this church like he was in Damascus. Must have been a confusing experience for him. In Damascus, he found a church that opened their arms to him. In Jerusalem, he found a church that was backing up away from him. And it must have been somewhat of a confusing time. But watch this. Suddenly, God used another individual from that church in his life. Look at verse 27. Verse 26 talks about how the church pulled back because they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, by the way, the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Every church needs some Barnabases. Every church needs some people who will be people of encouragement. And thank God for the Barnabas in Jerusalem's church. Because when when Saul went into that congregation, perhaps expecting the same kind of warm, friendly fellowship that he had found in Damascus, he found something far different The people were not reaching out. They were pulling back until, until an individual stepped up named Barnabas and welcomed him. And once again, because somebody took that step of reaching out to him, once again, Paul experienced the love and support of the local church. Look at verse 28. You'll see how it changes. The temperatures definitely changed because of Barnabas reaching out. Verse 28. So Saul stayed with them. He stayed with the church in Jerusalem. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Here's what I want you to understand. God uses individuals and God uses the church collectively to help people grow in their faith. It's an amazing thing when you see God doing that. It's an amazing thing when God will use a church or God will use an individual within that church to help someone grow in their faith. And before we run out of time, we're just about out of time, but I've got to tell you the second thing. I'll just highlight it real quickly. The second thing I want you to understand is this. We must grasp the significance of being a welcoming church. Let me say it again over the Life Center, those watching online. We must grasp the significance of being a welcoming, friendly church. Now, now, here's what I mean. I'm not talking about, hey, let's be friendly because it's a nice thing to do. Though it is a nice thing to do, that's not what I'm talking about. But what if the church was not just for church people? What if the church was really for all people? We have to grasp the importance of what is at stake when we come together on Sundays and God brings somebody into our midst. Let me show you this in Scripture in verse 15. When Ananias was so reluctant, going back in the story now, when Ananias was so reluctant to go reach out to Saul. Remember what God said to Ananias in verse 15? But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. God said to Ananias, Listen, Ananias, you don't understand what's at stake. This man is somebody I'm going to work through. I'm going to do a work in his life there in Damascus. And then I'm going to do a work through his life to take the gospel to all the Gentile territories. And Ananias, you need to understand this is not, I'm not asking you to be nice because it's a nice thing to do. This is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. And you see the same thing in verse 20, and in verse 27 and 28, we're almost out of time, so I can't read all of that. But every time you read about Saul in those environments, in those churches, he is preaching the gospel. He's telling others about Christ. In other words, God said, I want the church to love him and encourage him and help him grow in his faith because I plan to do a work through him. It's a gospel issue. One of the reasons that we need to be a welcoming, friendly church is not just because we want to be a nice social club. It's not what I'm talking about. One of the reasons we need to be a welcoming, friendly church is because you never know what God's going to do in someone's life and you never know what God might do through someone's life. And we get to be part of that story. We have missionaries right now in Southeast Asia. I won't call their name. This goes out over the internet. But we have missionaries in Southeast Asia right now. And if you were to call up the the wife of that couple And ask her to tell you her story. She would talk about how she came to this church as a college student. And she heard the gospel and got saved. And she was baptized in this church. And people helped her grow in her faith in this church. And now she's a missionary in Southeast Asia. You just never know what God might do to someone, in someone, and through someone when they come in the doors of this building. And even better than our church being part of someone's faith story, what's even better than that is when you are part of someone's faith story. When someone can point to an individual, and over the years I've heard the stories, good stories of people who come to this church, and they'll say to me, but it was Mr. So-and-so who reached out to me, or it was this lady who invited me to BSF, or it was this person who sat with me, or it was this person who took me to lunch, or it was this person that discipled me. And they point to an individual within the church. that impacted their life greatly. See, my, my point is simply this, don't pull back, reach out. Because you never know what's at stake. We need to grasp the importance of what's at stake. The reason we're to be a welcoming, friendly place is not just to be a social club, but it's a gospel issue. You never know what God might do in someone and what God might do through someone. Let's all fight that gravitational pull towards having a church for church people that's that's the way if, if you just leave it to itself that's the way it always happens it's a church for church people but instead let's work to have a church for all people what if we had a church for the unchurched what if the church should really exist to help people who are far from God find and follow Jesus what if that was our purpose or could I put it to you this way What if we focused on what Jesus died to make possible? What if that was our focus? Let's focus on what Jesus died to make possible. Because you never know. You never know when a Saul might walk in your door. Because God sent him to a church to be the vehicle to demonstrate His love, His mercy. And his grace to that individual. You just never know whose life God's working in. And I would love for our church to be part of their faith story, but more than that, I would love for you to be part of their faith story. Pray about that. Father, in the name that is above every name, we're grateful that we have a church family and a wonderful church family. What what a testimony many people have shared over the years about this church and, and the way that they have ministered to others and reached out and welcomed others. But God, help us not to rest on our past. Help us to focus on the work yet to do. And may we be the body of Christ to everyone who comes here. May we be a friendly church that has a focus on the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name that we pray. Amen.